informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for letting us be a part of your day and hope you're having a good day. Coming up on today's program, some of the folks we'll be talking with, Chris Hurt, Purdue Ag Economist, his Ag Outlook for 2019. We're going to talk with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. Uh, The president, as expected, has nominated Andrew Wheeler for the full-time job of EPA Administrator. We'll talk about that. Some other things going on in the uh, energy markets. And former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, will be joining us. We'll talk uh, dairy exports and trade deals, all that coming up. Speaking of trade, of course, still waiting to see whether or when negotiators will next meet between the U.S. and China. Uh, The meeting in Beijing seemingly was positive. Not a lot of details. They did seem to make progress in some areas, not so much on others. Waiting now to see when the next round of talks will take place in Washington, D.C. And, of course, the government shutdown continues. And a meeting yesterday uh, between the president and uh, Democrats did not go well. And, in fact, uh, the president calling it a total waste of time. So we continue on with the uh, government shutdown. So lots to talk about. We're going to start it off today with Eric Bowl. Eric is with the Missouri Farm Bureau, their Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy. Eric, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Mike. Great to talk to you again. We're getting ready, of course, for next week, the American Farm Bureau Federation Annual Meeting in New Orleans this year. I'll be broadcasting from there both Monday and Tuesday of next week. Not only will Secretary Purdue be at the Farm Bureau meeting, but again this year, second year in a row, President Trump will be there. And there's already some speculation, given given what's going on right now with the government shutdown, the trade issues and things like that. How will the uh, Farm Bureau delegates receive him? What will the reception be? Uh, I would say it will be anxious, but still supportive. How would you uh, describe or predict how it'll be next week? Mike, I think that summarizes it pretty well. The attitude among our members has been very supportive of the president through all the uh, trade negotiations and the shutdown negotiations, and I don't anticipate that changing. But they're definitely nervous about how it's all going to play out, and they want to get a good deal in the end, both on the the trade uh, issues with China and other countries and on the border situation for the shutdown. So it, it's really a great time for agriculture to be in the, in the center of the attention uh, over the past couple of years. It really has been. And, you know, we uh, sometimes don't want to be in the middle of everything. But right now it's good to be a part of the discussion and have the president come for two, two years in a row when no other president had been to the Farm Bureau Convention in 25 years. It's pretty incredible that President Trump would do that. Yeah, I, I expect the president to hit on some general themes that will be uh, very well received, but probably not a lot of details, details that the, the delegates and everyone would like to hear about uh, when we're going to get, uh, you know, some real, uh, you know, definite uh, deals done with China and some other trading partners, when the government shutdown is going to end. Those kind of details I would not expect to hear uh, next week in the speech, probably. Yeah, I agree. I think if you look at what the president has said, you know, 20, 30 years ago when he was writing his books, back when he was writing The Art of the Deal, one of the main things he said is you always want to keep your opponents off balance and not tell them what your plan is. 
and that's a good negotiating strategy, but it makes your friends a little nervous sometimes because they don't know what the plan is either. So I don't anticipate him telling us, uh, laying out exactly what his timelines are and when he thinks things are going to get done. But uh, I do think that he'll he'll talk about a lot of those issues that are really important to our farmers and ranchers out there. The interesting contradiction, though, is with the ag support of the president, but agriculture doesn't really like tariffs and would like to see the tariffs that are in place removed. But the president's a big uh, supporter of tariffs. He thinks they're a good uh, negotiating tool. So that's certainly a, a difference in opinion there between agriculture and, and this president. Well, that's for sure. And, you know, tariffs, I think, are a tool, but they're, they shouldn't be a way of life. That shouldn't be the way that we're uh, moving forward over the next several decades. We shouldn't have tariffs in place. We should be trying to reduce those and create more free and open trade and fair trade and free markets uh, have always treated American farmers well. And I think that that's what the president wants long-term, but he sees these as a, a useful short-term tool to try to get what is good for America. So we'll see uh, next week. He'll be speaking at the AFBF annual meeting in New Orleans on Monday. All right, we're talking with Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy for the Missouri Farm Bureau. Uh, Eric wanted to uh, get an update on the new law in your state of Missouri on meat labeling. Tell us about it. Yeah, so last year in the legislative session, Missouri became the first state in the nation to pass a law clarifying the definition of meat because there have been so many new products coming on the market over the past few years and uh, trying to imitate actual meat. So we passed a law in the state legislature saying that meat is a uh, edible portion of a livestock or poultry carcass. And that's always been the traditional definition, and now it's just a part of our statute. And this is part of the meat advertising law. So that law makes it illegal to misrepresent a product as meat if it isn't actually meat. It seems like a pretty straightforward uh, thing. And the Department of Agriculture here in the state came out with some guidelines as to how they're going to implement that. And it just says that if you're going to uh, market a product that is uh, an analog to meat, something that looks like meat, you can do that. That's perfectly fine. But you have to be clear on what it is and say it's plant-based or veggie or lab-grown or lab-created or something like that prominently on the label. And I think that's just a fair consumer uh, protection measure that lets the, the person in the grocery store know what they're buying. So your state's kind of ahead of the national discussion on this because we're still sorting out about the USDA and FDA and the the oversight, they're going to have joint oversight, but uh, still working on setting rules and uh, how this is going to play out with these new products. Looking, looks like they're going to be coming on the market in the future, whether they're you call them lab meats or fake meat or imitation meat or whatever it may be. So your state's very proactive on this. Well, we've been trying to stay ahead of the curve on this because we know it's happening, it's it's coming, and and that's fine. We're you know farmers and ranchers are some of the most proactive first adopters of new technologies. We're not afraid of new technologies. We embrace them. And if people want to come up with new products, that's wonderful, and we support that. And, uh, you know, many of the products that are grown for, that are made out of plants, uh, so such as the uh, Impossible Foods uh, burger or the uh, Tofurky-type products, they're made from soy products, and Missouri's largest export, uh, largest product in the agriculture industry is soybeans. So it's not like this hurts farmers to be involved in uh, in the production of these products, but they need to be advertised fairly and honestly. We're proud as Missouri farmers and ranchers. We're proud of the products that we produce, and if these companies are going to make the new products, they should be proud of the products they produce too, and 
label them honestly. All right, Eric, thanks for your time, and we'll see you next week in New Orleans in. Sounds good. Look forward to seeing you, Mike. Take care. Eric Bull, Director of Public Affairs and Advocacy for the Missouri Farm Bureau. Again, we'll broadcast from AFBF's meeting Monday and Tuesday of next week. And again, uh, President Trump scheduled to speak there on Monday. And I really really think the crowd will be very supportive of him, but uh, anxious. We'll be looking for some details, some clues, some insight on when some of these trade issues might get resolved. But I really doubt, as I said, I really doubt there'll be too many details, but some general themes that I'm sure will be well received there at the meeting. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about trade from the dairy perspective. Tom Vilsack, former Ag Secretary, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, joins us next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Very happy to have with us former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Good to talk with you again. What are your thoughts on on this government shutdown and um, what it must be like for Secretary Purdue right now to see uh, your agency, like many others in the government, uh, on hold right now, doing what you can, but very limited? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, it's a tough time for Secretary Purdue. Uh, He is very interested in, obviously, implementing the farm bill that was recently passed, but he can't do that because the staff isn't there to get that job done. He knows that there are folks out there that are suffering that need some help from the tariffs, uh, and he's uh, you know, prepared to send out checks, but he doesn't have the people to send the checks out under the tar- uh, tariff assistance program. He knows that there's an opportunity to help commodity groups expand new into new markets with the export assistance program uh, that was part of the uh, tariff relief uh, announcement the president made several uh, months ago. He can't do that either. Uh, and so uh, it, it's a frustrating time, uh, and obviously he has no control uh, over uh, what is causing the the, the shutdown, so uh, I'm sure he's very frustrated. And I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to get uh, his full team back uh, on the field. You know, when we go through something like this, and this could be a very long one, we'll see. But it it shows us and reminds us again of how many people are impacted by this, and how many ways we're impacted by a government shutdown. No, that's right. I mean, there's a farmer out there that obviously wants to go into the local FSA office to talk about the possibility of a loan or uh, perhaps a, a program that they want to work with NRCS on. Now, NRCS isn't shut down yet because they've got carryover money, but pretty soon that's going to run out, so the NRCS folks aren't going to be available. So it's very frustrating to people. Uh, there may be a, a young couple in a small town that's interested in closing on a home that uh, will be their first home purchase. They can't do that because the rural development people that are helping with that loan aren't on the job. So it has a rippling effect and certainly impacts uh, rural uh, places in a very serious way because of the reach that USDA has uh, in rural America. I know you have been watching closely talks uh, going on between the U.S. and China. They just uh, The latest uh, round of talks just wrapped up in Beijing. Seemingly a positive tone, although no real breakthroughs or details. Uh, what are your thoughts on where we're at in this process and where we go from here? Well, I think the fact that uh, Ambassador Lighthouser's office is now engaged and has been designated as the key spokesperson uh, in, in charge of these discussions and negotiations is a good indication that uh, these talks are going to begin to get serious. The fact that they went for a, a two-day meeting that extended into a third day is obviously, I think, a positive sign. But these are very tough issues, and, and one of the big issues that will have to be discussed in detail is how all of this will be enforced. Uh, it's one thing for the Chinese to make a promise. It's another It's another for them to keep it. Uh, and and the, I think that the challenge for the administration is going to be not only getting the substantive changes in the, in the Chinese way of doing business that they seek, but also making sure that there are enforcement mechanisms to, to be, make sure that the Chinese do what they promised uh, to do. We know it's such a key uh, market, including for dairy, right? Uh, it is. It's a huge market. And we were 
in the first three or four months of 2018, we were set to, to make a record set of sales in China. Uh, and we, in fact, probably did set a record. Um, you know, that's another impact of the shutdown. We're not getting the export data because the folks aren't there to crunch the numbers. Uh, but I, I suspect we probably had a record year, but it would have been significantly higher. And to give you a sense of this, Mike, uh, I ask our team here at U.S. Deck if we had not had the retaliatory tariffs in China, what would our our number be in terms of sales percentage of of dairy production and exports? We're now about 16.3 percent, which is a record level. They said it would be close to 17 percent just on China alone. Uh, so it, it clearly uh, is costing us, uh, and it's uh, you know obviously something that we hope gets done. The, the time uh, it, clock is, is ticking. Uh, you know, we have until March 1 before new tariffs can be potentially assessed by the U.S., which would obviously ratchet up the, the tension. So uh, hopefully uh, folks are getting to work. Hopefully they're, uh, they're really good, focused on the very specifics and getting this thing done so those tariffs can be lifted, and not just in China, but also the, the uh, retaliatory tariffs that uh, currently are, are being assessed by Mexico and Canada. We're talking with the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Let's talk about Mexico and Canada. Some interesting comments from uh, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, now chair of the Senate Finance Committee, who uh, told reporters he would advise the president to withdraw from NAFTA if Democrats seek to reopen the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. He said uh, uh, the deal which includes concerns about enforcing environmental protections and labor standards that have been raised by some Democrats, he says could be addressed through side letters without reopening the entire agreement. How do you uh, see this playing out as this gets debated and hopefully eventually voted on in Congress? Well, uh, Mike, I, I think it's not, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough, uh, tough vote because you not only have Democrats who have con- questions and concerns, but you've got some very conservative Republicans who are concerned about this agreement. So uh, this is going to be a heavy lift for the administration. And, and obviously the agricultural community is anxious to get it done. Uh, we're beginning to organize our effort within agriculture to make sure that we speak with a strong, solid voice about the importance of getting this thing done. You know, there's uh, uh, there are two issues now. Uh, again, going back to the shutdown, um, the fact is the International Trade Commission has to sort of issue a report on the impact and effect of this potential agreement. Uh, they can't get that work done because of the shut shutdown. So that that's delaying the process of getting this thing potentially ratified. Uh, and then there is this issue of retaliatory tariffs, uh, which sort of overhang the discussions. Uh, I think there are some who believe that those retaliatory tariffs need to be lifted before we can be uh, assured of, of certain uh, members of Congress voting in favor of USMCA. So it's a, a pretty complicated dance uh, that we're now going to be engaged in. Trade agreements are always tough votes. Uh, this one's, I think, going to be particularly tough. Uh, but hopefully at the end of the day, uh, people see the wisdom of uh, modernizing uh, NAFTA, and, and hopefully we're not in p- placed in a position where there is a decision to pull out of NAFTA because that would be very, very devastating to agriculture. And to further your point on uh, the tariffs, uh, Senator Grassley did say that the president will need to lift steel and aluminum duties on uh, America's uh, North American neighbors if we're going to get agriculture behind the new deal. So let's look at the new deal uh, from a dairy perspective. I remember last time I talked to you, uh, you saw some improvements, but you also had some concerns. Uh, give us your thoughts from a dairy perspective on the New Deal. Well, it preserves the, the the important market in Mexico, which is our number one market. Uh, continues to ha- have uh, tariff-free uh, opportunities in Mexico that gives us a competitive advantage, which is good. 
Uh, it also creates a new uh, sort of due process requirement for Mexico to establish geographic indicators, which is a, a process by which uh, you, you set aside or, or allow uh, certain companies the privilege of using the name of a cheese. Uh, you know, they entered into an agreement with Europe, uh, which basically uh, we had some concerns about uh, because some of the more commonly named cheeses were uh, given some protection for the EU. So uh, a new due process system will ensure that we don't have further erosion of the ability to use common names on cheeses in Mexico. On the Canada side, uh, a small uh, market access uh, significant uh, because it's more than we had, uh, and it uh, doesn't have to, have to be shared as it would have been if we went through TPP. Uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement that uh, we pulled out of. Uh, but uh, the question is how that actually will work in in, uh, in real time and in real life. Uh, the Canadians have a tendency to make agreements and then figure out ways to try to get around them. Uh, class 7 and Class 6 uh, eliminated. That certainly would be good news because that's been distorting the powder market. But in place is a new uh, pricing system, and we're really going to have to monitor the performance and, and evaluation of that new pricing system to make sure that we don't have Class 7 by a different name. Uh, we want to make sure the powder market operates in a, in, in a true open market uh, situation and don't have uh, the Canadians basically creating an advantage for their, uh, their producers uh, at, and disadvantage everyone else. In other words, if they came up with Class 7, they could come up with something else, call it something else. That's what you're concerned about? Well, they, they essentially came up with a different pricing system, which is tied to our uh, Class 4 uh, uh, price. However, there, there are adjustments that can be made by the Canadians. Uh, they refer to it as a, a Canadian applicable Canadian allowance. And, and how they define applicable Canadian allowance uh, is, is, I think, a, a really significant issue. There's also some restrictions in terms of exports amounts that the, the Canadians can actually export. Uh, if they exceed those those limits, uh, they're supposed to be payments. The question is, who gets the payment? Uh, what is done with the payment? Uh, is it a situation where the Canadian government collects the payment and then turns right around and provides a, a subsidy or assistance to producers that essentially has the impact of Class 7? So we, we just want to make sure at the end of the day um, that this is not uh, a system that can be misused or be taken advantage of, that we actually have a powder market uh, that where the world price basically uh, is determined based on the world market and not based on something that the Canadians do to uh, to sort of uh, undercut the market. Yeah, a lot of details, important details still to be addressed and worked on. As always, good to talk with you. Take care, and we'll hope for a very good 2019 for the dairy industry. Absolutely, Mike. Take care. Take care. Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture and President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. So... As he said, there's some improvements in the, the new deal with uh, Canada and Mexico, if it gets approved, but there are still some uh, concerns in there, some uh, things that they need to address and work on and uh, get some clarification on. All right, we're going to talk about the ag economy, some outlook for 2019, both for grains and livestock. Coming up next, we'll talk with Purdue ag economist Chris Hurt. That's next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. It's time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Defensive tone to corn, soybeans, and the wheats early on this Thursday. President Trump says he might skip the World Economic Forum in Switzerland if the partial government shutdown is not resolved before he's scheduled to leave on January 21st. Trump telling reporters Thursday he wants to go, but he might not. The president will try and boost his case for a border wall with a visit to the U.S.-Mexico border on Thursday. That trip follows a White House meeting yesterday that fell apart very quickly. In soybean futures, we are falling apart on this Thursday session. We are 14 to 15 cents lower. Brazil's soybean harvest will fall short of a record in the 2018-19 growing season after hot and dry weather. Conab cutting its forecast for the crop to 118.8 million metric tons, down from its December forecast crop of 120.1 million tons, but that cut not as big as some traders were expecting. March soybeans down 15 and a half at 9.08 and a half an hour into the day, three and a fraction lower in corn with March at 3.78, now taking down four cents. Chicago wheat, March down six and a fraction, 513 and a quarter, seven lower in Kansas City, and five to six lower in Minneapolis spring wheat, too. For livestock at the American Cattle Futures, we started the day very quietly near steady money. That really hasn't changed in live cattle. February contract up 12 cents per hundred weight, 124.92. Feeder cattle March up 25 at 145.15. Cash cattle asking prices on a live basis in the south being reported at 126, but no widespread activity. Lean hog futures, February down 22, 63.55. The Dow is down 72. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We've been trying to get a lot of different outlook perspective from uh, different sources here at the beginning of the year, and we keep coming back to the fact it's hard enough to give outlook for agriculture for any given year, but especially in a year like this one with what we're going through with so many uncertainties with trade, what may or may not happen, uh, certainly a, a trade deal or a lack of trade deal with China has a tremendous impact on the uh, outlook for the ag economy for 2019. So with all that said, we still expect good, clear, accurate, definitive predictions from our next guest, Chris Hurt, ag economist at Purdue. How's that for some pressure, Chris? Well, I have to chuckle just a little bit. Uh, (laughs) Nothing is very clear when we're looking towards the future. That's for sure. And I would think especially as hard as I said, I mean, I mean, it's almost like you have to set up two models. One, if we get a deal with China, one, if we don't. Well, I think that's right. And one of the uh, things that I think we have to think about is if we don't get that deal with China, we're dealing with horrible, burdensome surpluses of soybeans, uh, supplies that we have not seen in terms of uh, inventories uh, for 33 years. I was looking at that data recently. We go back a long ways to have a soybean stock-to-use ratio that's any higher than we have right now. So I think what this says is when you have highly uncertain time periods, doing some diversification in our pricing makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of producers put the beans uh, in storage. Uh, They got the very substantial market facilitation payment, the trade aid payment, and now they're hoping to hit that trifecta of getting a big deal with China and getting maybe even stronger soybean prices. But I think we have to really be cautious. And so we've been advising doing at least some marketing when we get these rallies back up to near the highs that we've seen over the last three to six months. All that uncertainty not only makes it difficult to market last year's soybean crop, but also in in some cases maybe on planning on how much to grow for this year. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how those acres play out. I think that's right. And what we've been uh, saying this fall and winter is uh, for producers to try to maintain some flexibility on their planting decisions if they can. Now, we know that's not easy for many of them. They have to make commitments to fertilizer, seed, et cetera. But uh, the the big stories that probably will affect the decision to economics of the decision to plant corn, soybeans, wheat in 2019 deal with, as you've already mentioned, China, but some of the other trade uh, concerns that we have around the world, and then the South American crop. Obviously, we're already talking in the market about reduced size of crop, particularly in Brazil, and where that ends up on corn and soybeans will have a big influence on the price relationships for our 2019 crops of corn, soybeans, and wheat. So with all that uncertainty, if you can maintain a little more flexibility, uh, we've advised to do that. Yeah, we keep watching South America. We've been talking for some time about how their weather started off so good. Now they've had hit a rough patch, and the projections are starting to lower. But, uh, I mean, still... Uh, a good crop there, it looks like, just maybe not as big as what they had thought they might have earlier on. Well, I think that's right, and uh, fairly typically we'll get some kind of weather concerns 
uh, out of South America in our January, February time period. Uh, you know, how big that is varies from year to year. We don't know what kind of damage uh, this one will ultimately mean. But uh, I think we have had, uh, prior to today anyway, we've had some pretty good pricing opportunities. And that includes the new crop. You know, we've seen the December corn, uh, 19 corn, get up to the $4 mark. And we've been targeting 410 as a place to get started, so we're, we haven't been too far off of that. And then on uh, new crop soybeans, you had mentioned those also. Uh, we uh, had seen some 960 or a little bit more, so that 960 to $10 is what we've been targeting. Uh, maybe, maybe some optimism on the Chinese trade situation, maybe some weather problems in South America. I think uh, the $10 mark would be uh, r- kind of remarkable that we could get to that on futures, given this carryover we have on soybeans. Uh, so get those uh, markers on your uh, charts and maybe get a few orders in for the new crop. Yeah, you stressing, you're stressing flexibility and be ready to take advantage of opportunities as they arise. Well, I think that's especially true on soybeans. Uh, we've you know, we're sort of optimistic and excited about the possibility that we'll get a, a negotiated deal with China. Um, on the other hand, we have missed most of the shipping opportunity that we have. We ship them the most soybeans seasonally in October, November, December. We just flat missed that. Uh, now we do have some business with them as we get into January, but as they get into especially March, April, May, they're going to be buying from South America. So I think this really leaves us with the question of how many export beans are we going to get? Uh, USDA has an idea. Other analysts have ideas. But we really do not know. That That's a very burdensome supply. And I think there's a lot of danger, uh, still possibilities to the downside on prices in soybeans. So um, let's uh, let's not lose all the opportunity. That actually is pretty good if we can get um, you know some reasonable cash prices, maybe mid eight dollars Eastern Corn Belt on soybeans with the dollar sixty five payment for the trade assistance. The eighteen crop is up over ten dollars a bushel. That's what the hope was back in the spring of two thousand eighteen. Let's not miss it. Again, we've got to get the government shutdown resolved so those uh, payments can you know, start going out again. All right, let's talk uh, more here on the Outlook for 2019 with Chris Hurt, Purdue Ag Economist. Let's switch now to livestock. And, Chris, uh, the, on the pork side, the situation in China, we get back to talking to China again, but the African swine fever story of, uh, from last year is still a big one this year. That's right, and I think uh, the most important part of that story is that it's not un- the disease is not under control in China. It continues to spread geographically to more areas, so that keeps that story very much alive. Now, uh, China is 97 percent self-sufficient in pork production. They import about three percent of their pork, but you can see that a one percent loss of production if they had to buy that on the world market as imports of pork 
that would be an additional uh, uh, one-third increase in their total imports. So this keeps the possibility very much alive that uh, their imports could rise, they could rise substantially. Uh, again, we're you know, hoping in agriculture for a negotiated settlement with China. Uh, we go back to last June, and China already in June said they would buy more U.S. products. And specifically, they said they'd buy up to $70 billion more ag, energy, and manufacturing products. So I think this is sort of the hope of U.S. agriculture at this grand negotiated settlement uh, that China will buy substantially more. And, uh, you know, I think there's some optimism that this could mean over time 30 to 40 percent more ag export sales. That's really exciting uh, possibilities, but they're only possibilities at this point. We have to get that negotiated settlement that kind of grand package, and whether we will or not remains in the uncertain category. Let's switch to cattle. What do you see there? Certainly a lot of competition in, in the in the meat case. Uh, how do you see cattle prices this year? Yeah, and again, I think uh, cattle are a bright spot, uh, and the bright spot really led by demand uh, that we're going to be able to uh, sell some more beef, maybe 2 to 3% more uh, beef production this year and sell that at somewhat higher prices. Uh, probably about a $117 uh, steer price, average steer price last year. And, you know, I think we're looking at uh, probably in the 118 range for 2019. So we see a little bit of strength there, led by demand. Uh, again, we've seen the U.S. economy some questions about its growth rate slowing and world economic growth rate slowing. But uh, we're still going to see stronger growth. It's just that the rate of growth is going to be a little little bit uh, less. Then on the pork side, again, we're going to probably have uh, 2 to 3% more pork. But we're looking for stronger prices. We averaged about $46 uh, uh, live hundredweight. Uh, in 2018, we're looking for about $49, and that's going to be led with our fingers crossed here by getting these trade disputes settled uh, and an 8% expansion in exports for 2019. Now, we've got to come back and say if we can't get these trade disputes really worked out, particularly with China, Mexico, and Canada uh, for the pork side of things, we will not be able to achieve stronger prices. Right now, uh, most analysts remain a little optimistic uh, on the pork side. So a lot of uncertainty, but some real potential for some big opportunities as well if it all breaks uh, favorably for us uh, with these trade deals moving forward. Chris, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks for your perspective, and we'll be back in touch. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Chris Hurt, Purdue Ag Economist. Well, the president, as expected, has nominated Andrew Wheeler to be the uh, full-time uh, administrator at EPA. And what does that mean for the renewable fuels industry and some other things going on in the energy markets? We'll talk with National Energy Markets reporter Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that. Call mobile help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. 
Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We have not talked in a while with Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters, so let's take care of that now. Welcome him back into the show. Jarrett, thanks for being with us. As expected, the president nominates Andrew Wheeler to be the uh, full-time administrator at EPA. No surprise there. Uh, absolutely, yeah. We, uh, we, uh, you know, we have been expecting the announcement for some time. Sounds like he's going to get a speedy hearing, too. And I, by uh, my account, looks like he's going to get a hearing on Wednesday of next week, which is pretty quick. Um, so it uh, doesn't seem to be a rough road ahead for him. It seems like there's been a lot of positive uh, statements issued by, by key senators. Uh, and, you know, it would be interesting. I think people are going to try to get him on the record, right, of uh, on certain key issues such as small refining waivers, reallocation, um, you know, commitment to uh, ethanol and, those, and, and all those things. But, you know, Wheeler is a, uh, is a veteran of D.C., he knows how to answer a question without answering a question. So I'm, yep. I, I'm not so sure we'll, uh, yeah. I, 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 I want to go into uh, Wednesday's hearing hoping for a lot of clarity from, from Mr. Wheeler on any of those topics. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking the same thing. We know the questions that are going to be asked. We just know that the the answers will be couched in a way to not really give us probably many more specifics than we have right now. I, I, I suspect that's going to be the case. Um you know, and I think uh, you know that the senators, uh, the corn state senators, are going to have to uh, you know ask themselves whether those answers are sufficient. Um, I'm not, they might have buyer's remorse on Pruitt, right? I would think. Uh, I'm not so sure they got the answers they wanted from him, um, but they were willing to kind of take a leap of faith. I think Wheeler has more of a track record, um, more of a body of work, and if nothing else, Wheeler has shown that he's willing to kind of include them in the discussions, and I think. That goes a long way to, to uh, uh, assuaging any uh, fears, uh, ultimately the decisions they make. But I think Willers had an open-door uh, policy and has been transparent with his decision-making. And, and I think that has, from my sources, has been uh, you know, uh, welcomed by, uh, by the senators. You know, ultimately it comes down to his decision, so we'll have to see. Well, of course, until this government shutdown ends, he doesn't have much agency to really work with because it's uh, shut down, too, for the most part. But let's look ahead. I mean, there have been real concerns raised all along about the tight timeline EPA laid out for approving E15 sales in the summer. 
and the government shutdown has brought that into even more question, but we've, we're still getting assurances that they can get it done in time. What are you hearing? Well, it was uh, earlier this week we had reported that uh, you know, the EPA was warning uh, some senators that things were going to be delayed, but they were hopeful uh, that the, the, the E-15 rule would be in place by uh, June 1st. You know, so we reach out to EPA for comment, and typically they don't say much. Um, but I was pretty uh, surprised when they issued a statement that it said essentially, you know, we're committed to getting us in time for the summer season, and you know, and Trump and Wheeler stand behind this, yada yada yada. So, you know, and, and oddly enough, or not oddly enough, coincidentally, that the Wheeler's nomination is the following day, or there's reports that he's going to, you know, come to that, that night. So, my guess. This is just an informed speculation. Is that Wheeler wants to be able, when he gets in front of the mic on Wednesday, say, "Hey, we're going to get it in time," and uh, he doesn't want any equivocation, any gray areas. You know, if, if but the, the fact is that if we have a prolonged shutdown, and there's nobody to work on it, there's nobody to work on it. Um, so, um, you know, I do think. You know, they, they, they remain committed. They seem like they're going to, to go ahead and do it. The, the, the wild card is the, uh, the shutdown. My guess is Trump does some kind of emergency declaration and uh, moves this issue to the courts and the government gets back to working in rather short order. But it's, uh, this is a, a brave new world here in D.C., so who knows. But, yeah. Um, yeah, they've guaranteed it. I think uh, time will tell, certainly if the, um, you know, if the shutdown lasts you know, extremely long time, I think all bets are off. And it'll be interesting to see if the president mentions it at all uh, Monday at the AFBF meeting uh, in New Orleans. Uh, also, Jared, uh, let's look at the energy markets in general. Uh, what should we be watching? I mean, I, I, I go to the gas station, uh, and the gas prices are under $2. Uh, what's what's going on in the, uh, the energy world? Well, I mean, the big news, you know, that we're constantly watching is, uh, you know, the U.S. crude oil production continues to surge. That's driving crude oil prices down. And, uh, and you know, gasoline prices are largely tethered to the price of crude oil. So um, we don't see any change in the kind of U.S. is still going to continue to go um, and move, move ahead with their, their oil. They're going to start trying to export that oil um, to other countries, um, you know, it's cyclical. What happens is the U.S. will push some 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 countries out of the equation or limit some stuff. Eventually, we'll be oversupplied. We'll be so oversupplied that the price of oil will go down to the, to the point where it doesn't cost them, it costs uh, they're losing money to make it. They'll cut back production. Crude oil will go back up to eighty dollars, and you'll pay uh, four dollars at the pump, and uh, and then we'll start the whole cycle over again. So I think you know. I think we're just going to go in cycles here for the next, uh, you know, 10 years as we see, uh, you know, crude oil kind of go up and down as uh, supplies demand it. And, uh, you know, but the U.S. is going to be the key driver in this and, and, and how much they can get out of the country. And uh, Texas is, you know, a big player in that. So it's pretty interesting to watch. U.S. is becoming a, a, a huge powerhouse player in all, all forms of energy, from ethanol to crude oil to gasoline to propane. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going to be a real force to reckon with. They already yeah, are. Real quick, they real quick, watch. real quick, Jared. The oil industry though continues to push back. They don't want E15 summer sales. They uh, they certainly don't, and they've made no. Uh, they have not been shy about uh, saying that they're going to sue. And I think, you know, ultimately, 
the key thing to watch is whether some judge intervenes and says to put the stay on the order or 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 not. And uh, you know, I think that is the key thing. And I think ultimately, Mike, it's going to have some chill in the investment. I know the ethanol industry wants to, you know, it has high hopes for E15, and uh, and I understand that. But ultimately, the threat of the lawsuit to shut down all this stuff ahead of the summer driving season. You know, if you're a retailer thinking about investment, uh, I mean, it, it's con- you would think that they, you know, they're going to think twice. Right, as they just are. Um, so, you know, the, all this noise around is certainly gonna, not going to help the ethanol industry at a time when you know it's clear they need some help. Yep. More questions, more uncertainty there. That's for sure. Jared, as always, thanks for the perspective. We appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Take it easy. Take care, Jared Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.